Hi, this is a podcast of the best bits of the breakfasts for the week ending uh, November 1st. Breakfasters is a Monday to Friday breakfast show broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia. Coming up on this week's podcast, you will hear our interview with director Genevieve Bailey about her new film, Happy Sad Man. Uh, we also spoke to Beth Stelling, comedian Beth Stelling, who is in the country for a couple of shows as well. Uh, very funny. Um, that was we, very funny. Yes. Uh, I went on a zip line and you got me a voucher for my birthday and uh, we talked about that and then I talked about that a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> it was worth it. And uh, in an animal-heavy week, uh, paleontologist and Australian of the Year, Tim Flannery, came in to talk about his new book, Weird, Wild, Amazing, Explore Your World. And on the phone, we spoke to Bugman Simon Hinckley, who was out in the field uh, as part of Bush Blitz at Little Desert National Park. Triple R. Uh, you guys, for my birthday, thanks so much. It was a few months ago, but you gave me a present and it was to do a zip line through the Otways. Yeah. Through the Otway Forest, through the treetops. Mm. I did it. I did it on the weekend. I'm so pleased because I was slightly concerned and that I feel I'd like never this, get around to yes. it. Yes, and whenever I you totally give someone agree. an experience, yeah. you worry, you think, oh, there's pressure on them to actually do it now. I agree. Yeah. And I had that same fear. And it's also, <laughs> you know, it's possible that the gift just got overwhelmed by other events that transpired that day. Yes. And so it just went into a drawer yeah. somewhere. Yes. Yeah, yep. I do have that concern because I, I think Kath told people that to get me experiences well, for my birthday. She didn't tell me that. We just got you an experience thinking oh, well, that you, that's what you would like. Well, you know me as well as my partner. <laughs> um, so And so I did get a, a few um, different experiences and this is the first one that I've used. Oh, really? Yeah. I feel kind of special. Yeah. Mm. Well, it's the first one that I've got, so oh. first one that I'm going to use. Also, the, there was uh, there's others that are kind of um, you have to go to Broom to do the other one, don't yeah. you? Yeah. <laughs> so it's a bit of a time, and also it's to, the other ones to go swimming with whale sharks. There's only certain times of the year that you can do it, right. so yeah. um, I have to leave early on a Friday, start driving. Exactly. <laughs> uh, anyway, so I did the, the and also I. I'm pretty sure I bought this for somebody else for their birthday Whoa. a few years ago and they never got around to using it. Also, how deeply do we know your brain that we bought you a present that you once bought for someone else? Yeah. You know Yeah. yeah you know me. You know you know I love an adventure and you know I don't like to be the one to organise the adventure. <laughs> someone called me um, a lazy adventurer <laughs> recently because it's so fascinating because you like you love to do these um, you know big exciting things but you never organise it yourself these pe- these adrenaline junkie type people are usually the ones that do it organise everything themselves yeah but you don't <laughs> I'm like yeah wh- why <laughs> it's not safe when I do it um <laughs> Anyway, I went uh, – so I booked – it was earlier on in, during the week last week. I kind of looked at my weekend and went, oh, my goodness, I don't have anything on. And it's like the first time in a long time and probably be the last time in a long time that I don't have – that I have a free weekend. And I said to – you know, message her and I said, what are you – have you got anything on this weekend? She's like, no. Nah. I'm like, great, let's let's go do the zip line. So yeah. I said, you book the accommodation, I'll book the uh, – I'll book you a ticket. 
um, to do it. And then, um, so we got up early Saturday morning and headed off and we went there and it was so great. It was so great. So, um, obviously you, um, the weather was, was not the best. Look, I thought of you because when we booked it, it said in any weather. Because it's a rainy part of the world, being yes. in a rainforest. Yeah, yeah. And so I thought, oh, and then when you said you were going up this weekend, I'm like, she's going to be pouring on her. Yes. Yes, it did. <laughs> uh, but it was actually, do you know what? It was so great. It, it did say, it did say in any weather except high winds and lightning. Okay. Thank God for that. Because that, yeah. ma- that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So, but when we got there, it had been hailing. So it looked like there was oh, snow. <laughs> looked like it had been snowing. And then when we're um, getting, you know, we've signed in and everything. And the guy running, it was just like, yeah, we're going to head off. We're just um, just checking the weather, and the, yeah, there's lightning. It's a bit far, you know. It's it's kind of close, but it's too, still far far enough away. And um, we'll just keep an eye on it. So if it gets too close, we can stop. I'm like, yes, right. So we're getting like this safety talk and stuff. And he, it started with that talk about the lightning. And there was a um, there was an older couple. Um, they'd probably be, I reckon, they were in their sixties. And um, they seemed, you know, suitably excited until I turned to them and said, do you think we're going to die doing this? Because <laughs> there was lightning. Yeah. You know, they seemed quite Such relaxed about the lightning. <laughs> anyway, they thought it was very funny. And they went, oh, ho, ho, no, it'll be fine. But I mentioned it a lot around, you know, because once we all got harnessed up and then we had to walk out and we walked through the, the gift shop area and there's people there going, have fun, see you, oh. waving us off. And I went, yeah, maybe, I hope we don't die. <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be fun. Anyway, um, it was so good. So there's like seven, six or seven zip lines as I want to get an idea. So in the process of choosing this for you, there was mm. – a few paths which we would have taken. There are some other zipline things around that area that are a bit more um, – you've got to, like, climb things and jump off them. It, there's kind of obstacles oh, that go yeah, with them. Yeah, yeah. But this looked like it was a cook yourself in and have a nice glide. There wasn't too much scrabbling and stuff. No, it's not, yeah, no Kath scrabbling did advise not to get you the one with too much um, – too many challenges involved. Oh, that yeah. was the She's one bit th- of advice I took from her. Oh, yeah, that's fair. It's because she's much more on the adventurous side and she thinks, I hate that kind of physical exertion stuff. It's because one time, this one time we... We rode bikes from Bournemouth to Bath and I hated it because it was two days of cycling yeah. and I got a sore bum yeah. and I wasn't prepared for it. Mm. And I, and she, but she does those things and goes, oh, this is fun. We do it all the time. And it's like, I don't like it. Mm. And now she thinks I don't like any sort of physical exertion yeah. on an people adventure. Over, people over-extrapolate from one incident. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. I'm like... I don't want to ride for two days, yeah. but I'm happy <laughs> to mean. climb a tree. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. Anyway, so, <laughs> but the one that you, I'm very happy with the one that we cho- that you chose. So it was just um, you uh, first you climbed up a tree. You're on a cloud. They call it the cloud station. Oh, I love that. Yeah, it's beautiful, and it's this you know just this thing, and it's attached to the trees, the, the platform that you can stand on, um, and then you you got hooked up and whoosh, away you go, <gasps> just zip line across, and it doesn't go very fast, um, uh, or not too far. Like it's nice. It's just a really cruisy rate, 
and then you just kind of you can let go, you can hold on. I love letting go. Yeah. yeah. Just lean back into it, look up look up at the sky and look around at the beautiful forest and How long do you whiz for? Like is it is it like a flying fox and you're just suddenly there or do you kinda of whiz for a while? No, it depends how long it is, but probably, you know, it's only about twenty seconds. Oh, okay. Yeah. Little whiz. Yeah, little whiz, little whiz across, depending on how long it is. And then, yeah, you get to the next one. And then they talk about the forest and stuff in between. Mm. Do you think about whether you'll extend your arms out and legs or Oh, think about that the whole time. Like, (laughs) you know, what different shapes can I get into? How far back can I lean? Can you spin all the way around? Spin? No, you can't do it. Yeah, you couldn't do it. And and they said um, if you get off... Get off course, you just do a cannonball. That'll get you back into oh. the centre position. Um, Kath did that a few times. I forgot. Like I had a, um, a GoPro. I was wearing a GoPro. And um, the idea was that, you know, I'd be across and then I was supposed to turn and watch Kath come across so we'd have footage of her on on the on the GoPro and then but I get across and just start chatting to the people. Oh, <laughs> I, I feel so bad for Kat. <laughs> the general going, Oh sorry, I missed you know. I, Do you know what's I funny? The, the one bit of footage you uploaded from the GoPro so far is Kath leaning into the GoPro going, Is it on? <laughs> is it filming my words? Yeah. And then you take off and yeah. that's the it's mostly just Kath leaning into the GoPro. <laughs> it's it's funny because I I did actually I thought that I edited that that bit out and then it, it uploaded and I went, Oh well that's staying there now but I, I had I did edit that bit out she goes why are you editing me out I'm like well I'm being nice yeah. aren't I anyway so anyway that that stayed up on my Instagram um but yeah it was so great and then like at one point like in the middle it started hailing <gasps> and it was just yeah but it was and that was when we did like the the longest one did you open your mouth up no oh, oh did I not intentionally anyway but I just kind of yeah, that's I just let right back and watched, like looked at the treetops. It was amazing. It was really incredible. I loved it. And then at the end, um, you could do um, and included the treetop walk. So there's paths and stuff you could walk. But um, my asthma flared up a lot when we were like, I was like, we'll just walk back to, we'll go get a coffee and then we can go do this walk. And then, but just because of the, um, yeah, it just. The cold air just wreaked oh. havoc on my on my lungs. So, so when we were walking, and we had to like walk back up this hill, and I've got you know, I'm sure there was a bit of physical exertion there. And I said to Kathy, "You have to slow down. My lungs can't handle this." And but yeah, I just thought, we can't do that walk. I'm sorry. And also, but she was hungover, so she didn't want to do it anyway. <laughs> so, yeah. some, ways, some ways, Kath was right about not getting you anything tougher than that. I think so. Yeah. Triple R. The films of Melbourne-born director Genevieve Bailey have screened in 50 countries, winning over 30 awards to date, notably for I Am Eleven, which depicted the interior lives of 11-year-olds from all over the world. Now, her second feature-length documentary, Happy Sad Man, applies the same thoughtful lens to five very different men around Australia living with mental illness, and she joins us now. Genevieve, welcome to Breakfasters. Hi, thanks for having me. Pleasure. Now, why, why give a rats about the inner lives of Australian men? Um, Well, is that a trick question? (laughs) Um, I suppose for me, I felt like we live in a country where mental health is being talked about more, but we still had this stigma around men expressing emotions and vulnerability a lot of the time. And I felt like as a filmmaker, it was a story that I really wanted to share because I feel like when men's mental health and men's emotional 
needs are pushed under the carpet. Not only do men suffer, but so do the women and children in their lives. So I felt like as a community, everyone can benefit from meeting these guys in Happy Sad Man who are really open, really charming, really funny, and sometimes really challenged by, um, by what's going on. So I was really passionate about that. Mm. And can you tell us about, is, is John your entree into this issue? Yeah, so Johnny and I met when I was in film school and um, I worked out he's at once the happiest and saddest man I've ever met in my life. And I felt like for someone who's twice my age, um, that vintage in Australia, we don't typically see them on our screens um, expressing their emotions in the way that Johnny does. So that's how the film started and then I decided I wanted to include some other men on this journey. Mm. Uh, yeah, You previously explored masculinity in Japan. Uh, what in making this film uh, and, and kind of, I guess, digging into masculinity in Australia, what were the, the greatest differences and similarities, I suppose, between those two? Yeah, I think um, it's really interesting because I look back and I have been making films about men for a while and I guess it's because I like making films about things that I'm interested in and I like men and I have a lot of really interesting, awesome men in my life. But I feel like a lot of the men that we see in the media or men that are ruling our nations and not the sort of guys I want to hang out with. <laughs> you may be able to relate. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So I felt like I wanted to um, explore men living in Australia today that don't, don't fit into a box in the way that a lot of the people we see on screen do. And I feel like there's stereotypes around the world about men in different countries, but a lot of them actually resonate with people and, and people can sort of say, yeah, well, that's, you know, don't talk about your feelings or Aussie guys, man up. I hate that expression, man up. Mm. It's like, what is that? Um, so, yeah, I'm really interested in gender and culture and I think that comes through in a lot of my films. Mm. It was hard to decide what character in the film I loved the most because <laughs> they've all brought, you know, such a um, a uniqueness to, yeah, and their own story which is really quite beautiful. Um, also really liked that it wasn't just um, your typical inner city Melbourneite you also went out to the country and I think, you know, we have this idea of especially men in the country are so not in touch with their emotions and I think you kind of blew that out of the water. How did you come across that man that I'm talking about whose Ivan. name I can't remember? Ivan. Yeah. Well, actually, um, three of the guys in Happy Sad Man I knew before I started making the film and then Ivan, who lives out near Shepparton in Victoria, I met through our wonderful magician and music composer Nick Huggins. So his sister-in-law lives out in the country and she said, you've got to meet Ivan. And I went out there and I was like, is this Alf off Home and Away? No, it's not. <laughs> it's Ivan. And, um, yeah, he talked about the importance of really not being too city when you come out to the country. Mm. He's like, people can smell it a mile away if you're too city. And I was like, am I too city? I'm not too city. Um, but we just got along so well and he has an amazing ability to reach out to people, to farming communities and help them um, going through drought and all sorts of issues that can impact, you know, your mental health. So Ivan also has an amazing belly laugh and that was a big part of the film for me was making sure that the guys can make me laugh during the process of making a film like this but also audiences. So that's one of my favourite feelings is hearing people let out massive belly laughs when they see David Capra and Tina on screen, one of the artists and his pooch who are in Happy Sad Man. So for me the happiness is just as important as the more poignant sad moments it's about a balance, which I think is, you know, very much the underlying thesis of the film. Mm. There's, you know, th- this idea of being typecast, not just in the media, but maybe in your own family. Um, can you speak to what you've observed? Because this this film, you know, you started filming several years ago. Uh, what what you've observed about some of the boxes that men find themselves fitting into, not not just from media portrayals, but 
maybe from expectations from those around them? Yeah, I think anyone listening right now can relate to the frustration sometimes of being in a family where you just don't think people get you and you feel like you're put into a box or you sort of feel like you're, yeah, misunderstood at times. And that's another part of the film that's explored through the guys and their relationships with their families. Um, And while some of the guys in the film, like Grant, have amazing support from their family, um, you know, it also reminds us that not everyone has that and that can be another level that adds on top of the stress of um, feeling unwell is is not being understood by your closest people around you and that was a big inspiration for me making the film was acknowledging that sometimes when people don't know what to do when a loved one is sick, whether that's physical or mental health issues or both, you just don't do anything. Did you ever feel like out of depth at times during the filming? Like there's one thing where you were... um you went to um, Men's Shed, which is such a, a, a great organisation, um, but it seemed like there was a man that came up to you and was asking you about depression. Um, like, how, were there in more situations like that and how did you handle them? Yeah, I mean, that was a man cave for sure. Mm. I was going into that environment. Um, I didn't blend in, but that's okay. But to be honest, something happened when I had a camera and when I told people what I was making, even when I didn't have a camera, if I was at a friend's party or a barbecue, if I told people I was making a film called Happy Sad Man about men and emotions, the number of people who said, I'm a happy sad man, or you've got to talk to my cousin, or oh, my dad has to see this film. So that was really encouraging. As a filmmaker, I've spent seven years making this film. To have people along the way say, oh, I've got a story for you, reminded me that it's not true always that people don't want to talk about their feelings. They just have to feel safe in doing so. Yeah. Did you feel like you got a handle on why men in particular are struggling in this country? We know that they, they overrepresent suicide rates um, by 70% in Australia. Did you feel like through this process you kind of got an understanding of a really difficult, nuanced kind of topic? Absolutely. I mean, I learned that women suffer just as much from mental health issues, but men statistically, as you say, are not only less likely to tell anyone about it or seek professional help, they are more likely to end their lives. And I grew up in a generation, as you all did, where we were told not to talk about suicide. And I feel like you know the research shows now that actually when people don't feel like they can talk about it, the results are actually very dire. So you know, it's a really big issue and lots of the partners I worked with through making this film, like Black Dog Institute and Sane Australia and Lifeline, they're at the front line doing this work. And for me, I wanted to create some sort of a tool that um, people could watch and gain a bit more understanding into why this is happening in our culture. But I think it can change. I think it is changing. And from what you've observed up close, how do you think we can be there better for people? Yeah, when I was editing Happy Sad Man with Annabelle Johnson, we had cards on the wall reflecting each scene and one of them was simply called helpful slash not helpful. (laughs) And that was where the men could share, like, what's helpful when you're having a tough time and what's really not helpful. And uh, one of the things that Grant has told me since we finished the film was that saying to someone who's feeling down, well, you should be grateful for all the things you've got. You know, you've got a great family or you've got a great job or you've got a... We live in a safe country. (laughs) Saying that to someone who's feeling down... Grant articulates so well is like saying to someone who's ha- who's happy, "What are you so happy about? There's people who are better off than you. You don't make much money. Like it's it's so relative. So I mm. think um, dismissing someone's feelings or making them feel like they should be happy all the time mm. is is not normal. So the men share a lot of insights like that. And has it been cathartic going is, to the screenings and seeing the reception? 
Yeah, I mean, that's my happiest place is sitting in a dark room with a couple hundred people watching the film for the first time. I just like buckle in and look around at everyone's faces and they don't know who I am so I can stare. And as I said, the laughter but also the crying has been um, across the board, whether whether we've screened in in the city at at Nova or out in the country where they serve scones and jam and cream after the screening. It should be compulsory to all screenings. <laughs> There's just a lot of feelings. Like people come out of the cinema after watching Happy Sad Man. They, they want to talk a lot. People sometimes stick around for up to two hours afterwards. Oh, my God. People want to bring other people to see it. People feel a lot of gratitude that the men have been so generous. And I, I feel that as well. I feel so thankful that all the guys in Happy Sad Man have shared their stories and trusted me because it's really powerful. I think... Even though I made the film, I can say that I sit there and I'm affected by it every time and I love seeing people feel stuff that's mm. sometimes challenging but ultimately hopeful. One guy who saw the film at a film festival came out and said, oh, I was a bit worried about coming because I was like, oh, is this going to make me feel depressed? But it's not depressing, it's hopeful, it's uplifting. Why didn't you have that on this? Uh. <laughs> he said, I was anxious all day saying to my wife, I don't know if I can go. But if I hadn't known it was uplifting, I said, okay, noted, we'll write uplifting on everything. <laughs> hopeful man. <laughs> and there's original music as well. Oh, yes. I'm super thrilled that Nick Huggins wrote the score for Happy Sad Man. We've collaborated for many, many years. I was actually his O-Week tour guide. Oh, back, oh really? Back in film school. So we've known each other for a long time. Wow. And Nick collaborated with um, the beautiful voice of Lisa Mitchell uh, for the film. And the music is, is really affecting. And the soundtrack is actually coming out this Thursday, October 31st, the same day the film comes out. So Right. And is, is there a special screening for the, the opening night? Yes. We're screening at Cinema Nova at 6.45 this Thursday with a special Q&A after the screening. So myself and one of the guys from the film will be there uh, to answer all the difficult questions that people might have. And uh, hugs are encouraged? Of course. We had a Triple R subscriber screening last week and the audience was awesome and it reminded me that, yes, Triple R audiences are our people. They were our people for <laughs> I'm 11, my last film. They came out in droves to see I'm 11. So I'm very grateful for Triple R. And um, some people came up to me after the screening and said, this is weird, but can we can we have a hug? <laughs> so I'm, I'm getting used to all the all the hugs going on. And um, anything that brings people together and makes them feel stuff, I think, right now is needed in our times. So. Well, the documentary film Happy Sad Man is released in cinemas October 31, Australia-wide. And we've been speaking to director Genevieve. Bailey and the number for Lifeline is 13 11 14. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you so much, Triple R. Independently yours, Triple R. 102.7. Yesterday, um, I talked because on the weekend I um, went zip lining in the Otway Forest. Um, Didn't see the Puma. 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 Panther. Panther. Puma. Oh, is there a panther up there too? Is, is it like the isn't wooden yacht way panther? It's a, there's a wooden panther too. Oh, no, there's a, yeah, apparently there's an. There's I saw a, its footprints around our dam. Did you? Yep. How? They were very big. Hmm. And our neighbour, who was very reliable, told us he'd seen it in our paddock as well. Get out. No, I did. Huh. But it's a big black panther. Yeah, apparently, you know. But there's no one. Who knows? I was chatting to someone. Maybe it was a feral cat, but but big uh, feral cat. Yeah, I had a friend that um, saw the Otway panther. Really? Mm. They were camping, uh, and then they heard something in the bush, and it was um, it was like it had um, like 
it was with a couple of kangaroos. And it's almost like the kangaroos were the bouncers, like the security for the for the panther. So this is what they say. They don't know. People say that they're just, just a giant feral cat, but they apparently they're around. Yeah, I wonder if the Otway panthers met the Woodin panther. I reckon there could be separate separate panthers. I reckon, okay. um, and also because she went um so like and it wasn't just she wasn't the only one that saw it. Like there was a her and someone else kind of went and like went oh oh god and then like I just like was sitting around the fire and we just kind of they went did we see that before like yeah we saw the Otway Panther and now like it's you know she's told the story too many times that people are like oh yeah here we go yeah okay Here's so the Otway Panther Victoria's story. Bigfoot yeah yeah the Otway Panther anyway I didn't see the Otway Panther yeah. while I was on the zip line going too fast. Um, what a time to see it, though, if you did. I oh, know. Imagine that. Yeah, safe, secure, but yeah. right there. Because there's footage of it. There's fo- there's footage of what a person claims is the Otway Panther. People are always saying they're not real. And the, the footage is so – it's like, this is the Otway Panther, this is the Otway Panther, and then they show the footage. And it's like, are you sure there's not a smudge that you on your yeah. lens that you took in your backyard? It's too far away. Mm. Show me proper evidence of the Otway Panther. Well, there's a Facebook page dedicated to um, Mass and Rangers Black Panther. There you go. Yeah, go and have a look at it. Oh, well. I'm 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 open to believing that there is a panther yeah. out there. There's got to be one, doesn't there? I want there to be there's one. There's got to be one. I believe in it. Also, did I mention um, uh, one of the zip lines? I mentioned this yesterday that... Um, this is the longest one where it starts downhill and because it, it goes quite fast, so they make it go up again yes. so you don't hit the tree. But the problem with that is that sometimes you don't make it. Mm. How and, many people don't make it? Uh, not many, <laughs> but I was the first one not to make it. Right, oh, and you're just dangling below a snapping panther. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. But it was like you almost make it to the end and then it goes, oh, and then it's this, oh, no, and then you start rolling back again. Mm. For that whole time, Dan, were you like, it's going to be me, I'm going to be the first one. As soon as they said, you know, when they started saying, oh, if you don't make it across, don't worry, and the whole time I'm thinking, that's going to be me, (laughs) which meant that I forgot to listen to the instructions of what happens when it is you. So... I heard she, there was something about a rope being thrown, and you just and you hold it. And I just, I just wasn't listening because I was too busy. It's going to be me. I, sh- you know, I know. I really, I should have been listening to those instructions. Anyway, it didn't matter. I got to the end. I almost made it, and then yeah, did the roll back. I went, oh no, mm. and then I get thrown this rope. And I'm just – because the ropes get thrown at me, and so I just hold it. And they go, hold it with two hands. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. That was the instructions. Hold it with two hands and we, you get um, hauled in, just get pulled in. And it was just this one woman just pulling on this rope, dragging me in. And it's just me in a harness dangling <laughs> over the way. And I'm just like, I'm so sorry, I can't help you. Did like, you maintain co- eye contact during the, the process? I wouldn't know. <laughs> Pull harder! Oh man, it was like that. It was like I honestly, I felt like a like a like a fat toddler that you know has been lifted out of the pram that refuses to get out. You know, just that they just kind of lie back, and it was just Mm. like, oh, this. I'm like, I'm so sorry, I can't do anything to help you. It's anyway. You got some bonus zip line action. Got some, yeah, I did, I did, and uh, no panthers though, so it was good. Um, But when we stayed. we did stay 
over that way for the week for the weekend, and we'd say, "I said to Kath, it's up to you to organise the accommodation." Um, so she booked us into a organic Shetland pony farm in Petticoat Creek, just outside of uh, Apollo Bay. Has there ever been a more Kath Bateman exactly. booking than what you've just said? <laughs> <laughs> An organic Shetland pony. What's what's oh organic about God. a Shetland pony? Oh, I think the farm. The farm has other right. organic. It's things just really about real, it. man. <laughs> and it was. Oh man, it was. It was stunning. It was so beautiful. It was amazing. They had a, they had a, um, a cockatoo there, ninety-seven years old. Oh my god! Yeah, cockatoos live that long. Oh yeah, yeah, really old. Oh well, there's your bird of the year, Australia. I didn't know they could live that long. Yeah, didn't you? No. Yeah, they live like hundred years. It's so great. Um, but this it, this cocky had been inherited from like he was owned by this man who had um, a smoker's cough. So <laughs> the cocky. <laughs> It coughs when oh it wants God. attention. <laughs> so you just hear like this cockatoo go. <coughs> it's pretty great, and also it lives with a rabbit. Isn't that beautiful? It's beautiful. Organic Shetland. How do you know it's ninety-seven? Yeah. Oh, because oh, they estimate it's that because they inherited it was passed on from someone else, okay. and he said he's had it. He's since, been scratching yeah. the numbers with his beak in the wall of his cage every day of his life. But, yeah, and it lives with a rabbit and has, you know, bonds. They, They're friends? Yeah, yeah, best friends. Do they, ha- do they hop around together? It hops around together. He, um, the, the cockatoo um, grooms it uh, oh. and the bunny, like, cleans out their little area. Like, perfect, perfect relationship. Mm. Really good, like the odd couple. Um, but also on this... When we first got got there, they took us around the whole place. There's a few different places you can stay there. And um, they showed us there's this massive hill up the back um, and it had like a, a lookout, a few lookout points on there. And I, it was so steep though. I looked at it and just went, how do you get up there? Mm. And they just, you know, two feet and a heartbeat. I'm like, righto, well, maybe we'll think about doing that tomorrow. Um, and then, so we got up early and we went, okay, well, let's go walk up this hill. Um, and walking up is not the issue for me. Mm. It's walking down. Like it was a very steep hill covered with pony poo. Right. So a lot of things to avoid. Yeah. And it's steep. No, walking down is, I, as someone has bung knees, I can totally tell you walking down is always worse than walking up. Isn't it? Yeah. It's and I got if you don't have a bit, you don't have much coordination. Yeah, I totally. I was I took my nephew for a walk when I was in Sydney and we got to the top of a hill and I said to him I don't think we're going to be able to walk down this and so I just bum shuffled down and he just went <laughs> running past me this three year old and I went oh I just not, not very good at this I'm yeah. just not very sure footed mm. I totally um, get it. Yeah, because I did like when we were in um, when we went to the glowworm caves in New Zealand. When I I ended up being in front and I, having to walk downhill into a cave over you know stones and rivers and and so I was just like I can't I can't lead people doing this. Yeah. I'm not. The, I'm going to fall over. Yeah. I need to follow someone else and see where they're stepping, so I know oh that's safe to step on that so, rock. So you zigzag. Is that the yeah, it's there's an Instagram. I put a video up on Instagram of, of me walking down the hill, and versus Kath walking down the hill, and it is like the difference is quite. Yeah, big. It's, you're you're doing exactly what I would do, which is mm. just try to walk straight down a hill and kind of wobble mm. and fall over. Whereas Kath just goes, 
I'll zigzag across this hill and just yeah. is trumbling across like it's no issue in the world at, <laughs> at all. all. But she's, you know, a bit better at everything. Yeah, right. So they're, they're walking downhill like a cow would stare. So you're like a cow on yes, a slope. Yes, I am a cow. <laughs> I'm a cow. And Kath, yeah. Kath is like a panther. A yeah. A panther. That's right. Kath is the Otway panther and I'm a cow. Triple R. Beth Stelling is a comedian, writer and actress who's appeared on Conan, Jimmy Kimmel Live and whose half-hour special as part of the original The Stand-Up series is currently streaming on Netflix. She's touring Australia with her show Beth Stelling with her mum in the crowd and is performing this Friday at the Athenaeum and she joins us now. Beth, welcome to Breakfasters. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, our pleasure. What what's, have you... How have you been going in town? What's what's the goal? Well, I crushed all week. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know what really is most pressing here is that my mom is not here. Oh yes. So the title of the show is a bit misleading, but she was with me at Just Flaps Montreal. Oh. And she was in the crowd, and it did make it weird. Um, <laughs> but yeah, she's in Ohio right now, resting with her boyfriend, this Cavalier King Charles named Nigel. What? Uh, how often does your mum come to see you do stand-up? And She pops in and out when I'm on tour. She's hit some locations that are convenient for her and that she would like to see. Oh, so that's right up the front, isn't it? <laughs> Is it? <laughs> she would be here, I think, if I invited her, but I had no clue that they were going to name the show oh. that still. <laughs> oh, so whoopsie doodle. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> whoopsie. But we also have a podcast together. Mm. Yeah, so you're quite, are you quite close? Yeah, I mean, not in a sick fashion. <laughs> you know, like I have boundaries with my mother. She's. It's not like, you know, we're not like best friends. We're mother and daughter, you know. I, my mom, I would never be like, my mom's my best friend. Like, get help, you know. <laughs> yes. Or find someone new. But I think... Yeah, and it, when it comes to, like, sex stuff, it's it's not like sex doesn't exist, mm. but it's also not like, how was your orgasm? Yeah. <laughs> There's a nice boundary, healthy boundary. But she maintains, a like, a level of decorum a mother should have, in my opinion. Well, this podcast, you, you talk to other comedians' mothers. Yeah. But that... What what a what an undertaking! What what did yeah. you learn? I mean, you got to speak to Maria Bamford's mother, exactly. Who's that was is like, a character that looms quite large in her comedy. Exactly, it was pretty incredible mm. to speak with her because, first of all, the impression is spot on, <laughs> and second of all, she's you know whip smart, very funny herself. So she's just she's a character to talk to, but like very interesting person, and had some beautiful insights into Maria and. Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, it's just like a lovely podcast. Mm. Um, do, do I you just find that most of the time you can see where someone's humor comes from? Yeah, I think like the themes I would say, and yeah, the themes I would say are like usually the youngest child, not always, but mm. typically the youngest child, um, wanted to express interest early in doing that. I mean, Maria was a little different. Her first foray, foray into performing was a violin. And she was like really scared to know she wanted to do it. And Maria's mom, Marilyn, said, how about you just do the concert? And if you don't like it, you never have to do it again. So she went up there and she played the violin in front of the whole, whatever, auditorium. And she went to her mom afterwards and her mom said, how did you like it? And Maria said, <laughs> and so she just, just started like performing from there on and she did a lot of theater like like how I did like I started but yeah I just I wanted to do a podcast I guess because you gotta mm -hmm. um but I didn't want to bother my friends 
truly. Mm. And so this has nothing to do with the comedians whatsoever. I just say, hey, can I have your mom's number? And then that's it. Wow. You know, because I just didn't, who, I, you know, it's real hard for me. I don't want to come over and do your podcast. I understand. You guys are different. Yeah, thank oh, you. Shocked. So much appreciated. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and your your dad's the real deal as well, isn't yeah, he? Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm. I, I come, I'm a legacy, really, in Hollywood. <laughs> um, I moved out there with nothing, but my dad had a huge, he's an industry giant in Orlando, Florida, you know, so... Um, he moved. Okay. So yeah, this is all a lie. I started with nothing. Um, my dad, (laughs) my dad, uh, my parents divorced and my dad moved down to Orlando, Florida when I was young. He moved down there to be an actor, which is not not where you go. go. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, so he's just, he, his whole business is like, he calls them live roadside commercials or character directionals. And so he dresses up in different costumes and, characters that he's created and he yells at people to get them into the business that's paying him to do just that and that's your dad yeah that's my father yeah was that your inspiration no no he's he's (laughs) inspiration to be better yeah Yeah. i would say yeah he's he's sort of like the um cautionary tale i'd say what what i mean he would love halloween wouldn't he he's got all the oh yeah i just went down there for the first time and i don't even know 15 years i i avoided florida as a state altogether for performance for the last decade or so um just so he wouldn't come to a show and then i took the university of central florida um because they gave me a good amount of money and i was opening for the snl guys and so i thought okay i'll do it you know i'm gonna do it and then i showed up and i told my dad it was canceled or something and then (laughs) and then i was like but i'll have dinner with you tomorrow and so then i did the show my cousin showed up and that was actually kind of nice to see her then we got dinner and he showed me his full garage of costumes i had been there since in ages so his his garage is wall-to-wall with costumes speaking of halloween he has this new character jack who used to be a pumpkin oh my god and now you know and he's showing me all these things and he then he shows me this plunger and he's like i'm gonna wear that on halloween and i said on your head he said where else of course and then he said my and then the p word are we allowed to say that yeah he was like where else my penis and i was like i'm your daughter you understand what's happening here i haven't been here in a while but we are related So yeah, his website is (laughs) starsoncall.com if you want to check out. He always asks me to help him name his characters and then he won't take my genius suggestion. He'll go in a full other direction. He was like, what should I name the pirate? And I said, Arj. (laughs) Thank you. That's great, right? And I I also like love Arj Barker. And he was like, okay, I look on the website. It's Glitter the Pirate. Its name's Glitter. What a disappointment. And if it's not, tweet at me because I'm almost, I don't think he's changed it. And it seems like Jack was a bit of a missed opportunity as well. Well, how about this? How about he hopped in my rental car so we could go sh- check the costume with the woman who's hired him to point people in the direction of Halloween parking? He's dressed like this pumpkin. We're, it's at a realtor's. We're in Orlando. We go to the secretary, and she's just side-eyeing him because he's very divisive. You're mm-hmm. either on board or you're like, this person's unwell. Mm-hmm. And um, this woman was not having it. She was just like side-eyeing him. And he, that, of course, feeds him. And so he was, says his whole, my name's Jack. And she's like, are you a Jack Lantern? He's like, no, I used to be a pumpkin. Guess my last name. And she's like, obviously not playing. And, uh, <laughs> and he, he goes, it's Mehoff. And I'm like, no, it's 2019. Oh, no. I said, you have no boss. And if oh, you did, God. you'd be fired. Yeah. Oh, there's God. no checks and balances with this man. Oh, my God. 
dog. And he's always like, he'll always be like, role reversal. Like I'm the parent and he's the kid. And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm not even related to you. Yeah. A Jack Meehawk joke. At a realtor's office while oh I'm with a man God. dressed as a pumpkin. I mean, just, you know, this is, I just got to show you a photo of this it. Place. This place. <laughs> and this is, I, and then, of course, I have, have the video of him saying the penis line that oh, I just oh told you. Oh, my God. Because you, you t- talk a lot about your, your family. And, uh, and I guess I essentially do. you're a bit of a storytelling um, yeah. joke this is, writer. This is him in front oh of the garage God. with the pumpkin. And he said, should we do orange wig or should we do mohawk? You know, Instagram voted mohawk. <laughs> But he went. He went orange wig. Oh, he doesn't want. He, he doesn't take direction. No, no, no. And by the way, sorry. he does. Um, he uses puffy paint on all of his clothes. He he calls it embellishing his oh, his outfit. Wow. Oh, yeah, but he even. is just. That's his wife helping put on his morph suit. <laughs> um, <laughs> thank you for these you are Jonas. the wigs. Oh, here's this. Oh, yeah. the video. Where, yeah, I'll be wearing that to pass out Halloween candy with Joy as a Halloweener. <laughs> that uh, plunger. <laughs> On your head? No. Of course it's plunger. <laughs> yeah, my pee. <laughs> of course it's a plunger. Like, of course I'm going to wear it on my head. Where else would a plunger go? Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh. Like, when... That this man it really exists as just brought yeah. joy to my life. Oh, yeah. Mm. Okay, sorry. It won't stop, it won't no. stop going oh, now. No. There's a lot. There's a lot. Do you... Like, when you need to write a new show, do you just pop down and visit your dad? I mean, that's literally what just happened, yeah. Pretty much. This hour does talk about what he does. Yeah, so it's a family show. Yeah, <laughs> it's a family show. And we disagree a lot, my father and I, on, um, I would say, what people describe as political topics, but it's just human. Wait, wait, human? <laughs> I just died. Jet lag? Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> wait, wait. <laughs> Going baddie. Human, uh, human sounds like one of your dad's characters. I know, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, they're just humanitarian issues, whatever. It's like, so I will incorporate that. We're very different in our belief system. But growing up, he would just, I don't know, we had a lot of phone conversations and he'd, he would say wild stuff like, if you ever get pregnant, I'll take the baby. Oh, what? <laughs> I, I mean, like, I don't, he didn't, he meant. Not, in a nice way like take yeah. it and yeah. raise it not steal it not steal it <laughs> but yeah he's very anti-choice and you know i wish more anti-choice people were like him you know mm. like if you have it i'll take it yeah <laughs> but they're not they just want you to have it does he get joy from be- having a whole show written about him um he hasn't seen it because remember i told him the show was canceled oh yeah of course <laughs> but, yeah, right but he is very much like i've made jokes about him in the past because he said some wild stuff to me like he used to um call i used to play field hockey in college and he never saw me play but he would call me the shaquille o'neal of field hockey (laughs) (laughs) and i would just call him the tanya harding of dads and he just he and he never really bats an eye he's just he's fine he's like i get it it's your thing it's your stories or whatever so he's on board can we can we ask because there's so much to (laughs) he's like can you see that video again (laughs) (laughs) but what what's a what's a writing credit of yours that you think uh that you're most proud proud of of, yeah i guess oh man um (laughs) so many (laughs) (laughs) no i think good boys probably i did i did punch up an onset writing for the movie good boys um that came out this summer um, written by 
Lee Eisenberg and Gene Stepnitsky from The Office, and it was produced by Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, and we shot it all last summer in in Vancouver. Or I guess not this past summer, summer before, because it oh, came yeah, out yeah. this summer. And it was just like a great time in my life, and it was very fun mm. and weird and wild. It's like twelve year olds coming of age story, you know. Mm. So it was, you know, at times a little tense, but it was fun to make, and I think the boys had fun doing it too they weren't traumatized or anything he also wrote for crashing the mm-hmm. um judd apatow show well not it's not his show but he's produced it mm-hmm. and that's kind of like a in like a comics insider like like they all right. kind of like inside but, jokes, it, but right. it never can be because it, because that's not real you know comics yeah, right. are always gonna have a problem with it because it's tv it didn't it, i always yearn for it to be more grounded than it was because that's what I wanted to ask you. Did you have comic friends going, that's not the way it is? Of course. And yeah. Yeah. P- yeah. H- who's going to hear this? <laughs> what None of I, your mates. What should fine. I say? <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's definitely comics that take issue with, with it in general. Like, you know, because there's always going to be a comic like, why d- does he get to tell that story? You know? And so yeah. I think in, in, com- in comedy, it's like there's so many similar experiences. You know, if you if everybody's on the, a headliner, they're working the same circuit. Mm-hmm. So I can be like, Dave in Seattle, did he almost crash the car when he picked you up from the airport too? And he's like, yeah, he's always wasted. You know, something like yeah. the man... I mean, I'm talking about like a manager of a club or whatever. But so there's many experiences that are the same, but so many people are, are different too, especially when you're like coming up in New York or coming up in LA. And so everybody's going to you know take issue with it yeah but um yeah i guess i kind of answered it i i weave my way through talking smack the um and what about studying improv at uh the annoyance theater yeah that was like when i was i was i don't even know yeah i want to say three or four years into stand-up yeah maybe maybe (laughs) did you just hear that little weird breath i took I did have a flashback. I was like, yes, and. Uh, I yes, and I did do improv. I was about to quit comedy. I think I was just sort of depressed living in Chicago and um, sad or something. And yeah, I don't mean to belittle the word depressed because people who actually suffer from depression, it's you know, a serious issue. But it's just like dark in chicago and cold and mm. i was like what am i even doing and i was working a lot of jobs what if i just barfed i uh <laughs> <laughs> and i basically thought like what yeah i was like what am i doing i'm gonna shake it up a little be a little more fearless on stage so i took improv classes mm. and it did help and i met some people that i ended up doing this cool play with that was an like improvised play called five lesbians eating a quiche and it was like the last thing i did when we left chicago and it was like a big hit and tons of fun so we just came with our own characters that we devised from our brains and then we would show up and improvise together long form and then these two writers um would write down the words we said and we made it into a play oh Hmm. fun and it was really cool it was set in the 50s like right before um yeah during the nuclear bomb morning era um it was fun yeah, and does it make you because you you know your dad's in Orlando? He mm-hmm. decided to pursue his show business career there. Yeah, you went to Chicago, L.A., New York. There are places to go. How do you decide where to settle? Well, you know, you always like look to the people before you that you admired. I remember Kyle Kinane was like, "Go to New York if you want to take a ten thousand dollar detour." Oh, <laughs> you know? wow. because and and a lot of people's opinion, L.A. is like the end game. You know, where you go, and you also it's true in a way. 
Um, you want to show up there, though, in my opinion, as a finished product. There are stories of successes of people who started in L.A. Like, it's not impossible. Mm-hmm. I think it's just harder. Because first impressions, like, stick with you. If you see a comic up, you know, at the improv early or something, and um, you're always going to be, okay, so that's a new person I see, and that's how they are. Yeah. yeah. Mm. That's your first impression is kind of like, it, it's harder to prove that you got better. Is, is Kyle the one that convinced you to come to Australia first? Um... Who did that? I don't even know. Probably some email. I don't know. Oh, just someone said somebody was like, Australia. "Yeah, it was Blue Murder Tour Company that brought me here." And yeah, they normally yeah. do music. Yeah, they do. And um, it was truly an amazing experience, and they did a wonderful job. I had a great time. I did Melbourne, Brisbane, Sydney, Perth, and Adelaide. But that was the first time you. It was four come, years ago. Five, yeah, yeah. Four years. <sighs> but you've been back four a few ago. times. Yeah, I did having... the Melbourne Comedy Festival. I listen now that I've been here so many times. I can't. I always struggle before I say the word Melbourne because it's Melbourne or Melbourne, and but then it's like Melbourne, it. and so then I'm over here just freaking out inside. But you nailed all three versions. Thank you. So yeah. You just say and look, you, you know, say you're a human, and people make mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Beth Stelling with her mum in the crowd, mum not included, (laughs) (laughs) is on Athenaeum Theatre Friday, 1st of November at 8pm. Tickets via athenaeumtheatre.com.au. Beth, thank you so much for coming in. Thanks for having me. Triple R. For feature creatures, Bugman Simon Hinckley is on the line from out in the field as part of Bush Blitz at Little Desert National Park. Simon, hello. Hello, Daniel. Morning, Sarah and Geraldine. Hello, Simon. What's all this uh, bush blitzing you're up to? Uh, Bush Bliss is a program that's been going since about 2010 and it's uh, a program that's funded by the, the federal government and BHP and Earthwatch and basically we're on the 40th Bush Blitz and what it is is it's a, what's called a species discovery program. So what they do is they have a, a team of people, uh, experts and that, that go out to, to sites across Australia that have been selected and they try to basically do a really rapid biodiversity survey and to determine if there's new species here. So it's been, um, I did just get a really good heart starter. I'm walking, I was walking to the top of the hill to, to speak to you guys and I was about to put my foot down and all I saw was a lot of scales and an open mouth and I absolutely, I did quite a jump and a half pike, but it was two shingleback lizards lying on top of oh, each other. Oh, stop. Whoa. But I did, um, it certainly got the heart going and it also fixed the bad back. So oh, that was good. What I'm so relieved that you, you're not trying to splint your own leg at the moment while you're yeah. talking to us oh. being bitten by a snake. What are you doing to uh, us? Uh, well, that's actually quite funny because I don't have socks on at the moment because um, I haven't sort of got ready and I thought, what would be the odds of being bitten sort of like in the car park without socks on? Yeah. But, um, <laughs> it's a really lovely site. So, yeah, we've been driving through the little desert um, and what we're doing is a, a whole range of different collecting techniques. for the. So I'm doing the invertebrates. So we're looking at the, um, the ants, the spiders, the ground-dwelling beetles and that sort of thing. So what we're doing is what's called just... Um, beating so you you literally put um like a sheet out under a tree branch or under a flowering plant and you hit it really hard with a stick so it's pretty low tech and anything that falls down and lands on that you you suck it up with what's called a pooter and uh so you've got one end that you put in your mouth a tube and you put the other end on the insect and you suck it up what you have to make sure you yeah you have to make sure you suck the right end because if you don't you suck the insect right into your mouth so i have eaten an ant and a weevil (gasps) no have you really Oh, well, I spat them out, but I certainly tasted them. Oh. Well, already this morning. 
No, no, no. Um, over, over the course of a few days, right. yeah, I think someone might have actually booby trapped the poodle because it shouldn't be that hard. Oh, but, I just um, feel like no, this it's should... been really good. I feel like there should be a better technique rather than sucking bugs up through. <laughs> it's got to be an easier way, Simon. Uh, can you tell us where where exactly is Little Desert National Park and what's the significance of you being there? Yeah, so the, the park's about 130,000 hectares and it goes from pretty much the South Australian border across to like sort of below and near Nil, Kanaiba, Dimbula, all the way to the Wimmera River. So it's, it's a large block of... Um, predominantly Mallee vegetation, but lots of different types of vegetation. And it's, it's really important because it's, um, well, it's a large national park and it's sort of in a bit of a sea of agriculture, so it's, you know, uh, a refuge. And it's actually an important park because back in the 70s there was a proposal to, to clear it for... It was marginal land at best because it's quite sandy soil, but there was a proposal to clear it and it was a really strong um, conservation movement at the time that really sort of got uh, organised and energised and, and stopped the clearing and had it declared a national park. So Bush Blitz were asking for um, people to to put in submissions as areas that could be surveyed, and this was one of them. So in Victoria, they've already done uh, Crow Jingalong in the east. Uh, they've done Lake Condar in the southwest. And so we're doing Little Desert now. And there's uh, 31 scientists here. So they're doing uh, five teachers. They're doing reptiles. Uh, we're doing invertebrates. The uh, botanists are here from the Royal Botanic Gardens of Melbourne, and they're amazing. They're like out 12 hours a day, mm-hmm. and they're like, oh, you know, we found this bryophyte they've been wanting to see for 20 years, or we found this eucalyptus, you know, it's uh, the first record for this part of the state or something. So their knowledge is phenomenal. Wow. It's a bit of a four-wheel driving hotspot too, isn't it? And It is. We... <laughs> We have been doing um, a fair bit of... I think that's why I might have a bad back. We've been doing a fair bit of bouncing around in the car. Um, one, of the, one of the scientists, um, Barbara Baer from, from the Queensland Museum, who uh, speaks German, and apparently she was in the car yesterday, and she shouted, Hilpen. And the driver said, did you just swear? And she said, actually, no, that was help, and it just sort of came out. So <laughs> it's been quite a bumpy, quite a bumpy ride. And it's, is it flat? I mean, what, what, like it's, you say that you, you're up on a hill being elevated, but it, the pictures I've seen it look quite flat. That was generous. Sorry, when I said hill, I meant flight incline. <laughs> it's very undulating. It's actually really lovely. Like, we're, we're on a site that's also used for glamping, and I, we don't have the glamping bit. We've got these oh. fantastic tents you can stand up in. And last night, the stars up here, you realise the light pollution in Melbourne because the stars are amazing, mm. and the sunrise at 5.30 this morning. It's really beautiful. There's all these birds everywhere and, and shinglebacks, and um, we've got yelled at by an emu yesterday in the field with all the oh. stuff adult chicks with it so oh. it's really cool god and what, what are you doing with all the information that you collect where does it go what's the process so there'll be a report written and basically also what we're doing is every time a, a species is, is um not just described but every time we say oh that's a shingleback lizard or that's a brown snake or that's a, a you know a red-bellied firebug or whatever that information goes onto a website called the atlas of living australia so what it does is it builds species profiles across australia so people can go oh you know this species is really threatened because it's only found in one spot or no that's found all over australia and also it tells you when it was found so there might be lots of locality records across australia but there might be none since 1970 sort of thing so it's really about building up our our picture of the biodiversity of australia Mm. and are you hoping to find anything or is it just a snapshot I, I am hoping to find something. So the other the other um, process that we're using is what's called a Tolgren funnel, where what we do is we collect a whole lot of leaf litter, and there's lots of stuff in the leaf litter that is camouflaged or plays dead, so it's really hard to see. So what we do is we take that back to the museum, put it into a funnel with a heat source, 
And as the leaf litter slowly dries out, all the critters move down to the bottom and get collected in a container. So we're hoping to, to run that and um, we should be finding new things. It's just a question of having the taxonomy expertise for someone to go, oh, that beetle there, that's definitely a new one. So sometimes it takes some time. Sometimes, for example, for things like birds where there's a lot less diversity, a bird expert might be able to go, oh, that's a grey-striped babbler, that's the first record of Victoria. Mm. It's a bit harder with the invertebrates because there's so many more species, but we would certainly be hoping, I think, the Bushbits program has found 1,700 new species since it started. So there, there will be new stuff down wow. here, I'd be very confident. Do you have a photographer with you? Oh, we do. We do. He's taking some great photos. And that's actually really, that's a great, um, a great sort of thing to have because what you really want to do is, for, for, the, for the public, they go, oh, okay, so 35 weevils and 12 earwigs. Well, <laughs> so what when you see pictures of them and you go, oh, that's amazing. It's a real and hard sale, that really, one, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we did get some, um, the weevils were being very accommodating last night because they were, um, they were reproducing. So we've got some great shots of the weevils um, on sticks together and they were very, they were very keen. They weren't going to be... Uh, so we've got some great. Sh- they were. <laughs> so we've got some great shots of the insect. Yeah. And how can people get involved if they want to? The if you go to the Bush Blitz website, um, they don't. Unfortunately, they don't take volunteers as such. But if you're a teacher, we've got five teachers with us, and mm. I would certainly recommend being involved. So you put in a submission, and it's about getting sort of really enthusiastic teachers who want to take that biodiversity message back to um, their schools. So jump on the site if you're a teacher, but also if you're just interested, if you go to the Bush Blitz website, um, you'll see all the previous Bush Blitzes, and you can see where they went and what they found. And they've been to some amazing places in WA and the NT in Queensland. Victoria, so lots of lovely shots. It's a really great program. It's been catered. The food's been it's been dessert. It's been excellent. Yeah, it's great. Well, stay safe, Simon. Put on some socks for God's sakes. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to walk back it carefully. Yeah. And so the website is bushblitz.org.au. And Simon Hinckley's been at a Little Desert National Park. Simon, thanks so much. Thanks, guys. We'll see you soon. Thanks, Cheers, yeah. man. Triple R on FM, digital, online, and via the app. Tim Flannery is a paleontologist, explorer, conservationist, chief counsellor of the Climate Council and 2007 Australian of the Year. He's held such positions as director of the South Australian Museum, visiting chair in Australian Studies at Harvard University, a distinguished research fellow at the Australian Museum. A prolific author, his titles include the award-winning international bestseller The Weathermakers and Atmosphere of Hope, and his new book, Skews Young, Explore Your World, Weird, Wild, Amazing, is a deep dive into the natural world packed with illustrations. And Tim Flannery joins us now. Professor, welcome to Breakfasters. Thank you very much. Oh, our pleasure. Um, Can you tell us about growing up in Melbourne and maybe what is it about its geography and history that has informed your passions and future? Yeah, sure. Look, I grew up at Sandringham and it was so long ago that I was a kid that that was the edge of Melbourne back then, believe it or not. (laughs) There was tea tree scrub and there was farmland and swamps and lots of great stuff. So there's lots of wildlife around. I remember catching frogs as a child in that area and um, seeing all the birds and the wildflowers. Um, And, of course, then there was a bay. And as the suburbs grew, by the time I was six or seven, there wasn't so much bushland. So I was um, jumping in the water with my snorkel. And, you know, the bay's a wonderland. What a great place it is, you know. Who would believe that elephant sharks come up every year and breed in the bay? These amazing sharks with this weird nose that (laughs) snuffle around in in the mud with, you know. And just to see all of the fish, the migrations and and things, it's wonderful. And I, you uh, taught me, I think, about, was there megafauna in North Melbourne? 
That's right. Yeah, there was. Yeah, so we've got quite a few good fossil localities around around um, Melbourne. Not all of them are easily accessible, and they probably shouldn't be because people pillage them. But there's a place over at Keelaw where there was some fantastic megafauna fossils found. Mm. Just down at Bow Morris, where I grew up as a kid, there was lots of fossils there in the water, and still are. You can still go and find things down there. And am I right in saying you would sniff bluestone? That's right, yeah. What? Yeah. Well, it's just like, I reckon the stone that a city's made of is really important. It roots you into place. And on a really hot, dry summer's day, like we used to get in Melbourne, that bluestone would produce this sulfurous smell of volcanoes. And it just reminded me that this was a volcanic province, you know. Mm. Oh, wow. Uh, the, the book is just chock full of animals. And it's all, uh, as you describe weird, wild and amazing. Is there an animal that you feel has been overlooked? Maybe it doesn't catch on. It doesn't excite everybody else, but it does something for you. Oh, there's so many. Where to start? <laughs> <laughs> Look, I think, um, you know, probably the zombie jellyfish is as good as anywhere to start, you <laughs> yeah. know. Oh, I was reading about the jellyfish section in here is awesome. <laughs> yeah, they're so, they're so weird. But th- this zombie jellyfish, if it ever happens to die and it's just a rotting corpse floating in the water... It, it doesn't actually die because a few cells escape, living cells escape from the rotting corpse and somehow find each other in the water oh. and make a little mini me jellyfish that then just grows up to be the jellyfish again. I mean, it's quite that is so amazing. Yeah, it's kind of hard to believe, isn't it? Yeah. When I'm reading through this book, like it's kind of designed, I guess, so it's really accessible. Kids can read it, and there's all these really fun facts. You have an animal, it might be a dolphin or an otter, and you have all these fun facts that you've pulled out. How did you learn to identify the stuff that kids really want to know about animals, all the fun stuff? Oh, well, I had a bit of help with that. I've had some kids myself, but uh, the people in the publishing house that, that kind of helped me, because I talk, meet them, meet with them and talk to them. And they said, wow, that's an amazing fact. Why don't you pull that out, you know? Yeah, right. Like, how do whales sleep? Does anyone here know how whales sleep? No, please tell us. Sleep? They sleep standing up. What? No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sperm whales sleep just standing up on their tails in the water like that. Yeah, like <laughs> with their tails on, on the – they don't go down the bottom. Do no, they? they just sit they just kind of f- near the top, yeah, just standing up. And do you know what a zombie ant is? I, I'm afraid the book's full of zombie stuff, but I love zombies. Yeah. <laughs> Let me have a guess. It's yeah. a it's an ant, but when it dies, yeah. like two bits of cells fall off it, <laughs> and then they come together and create a new ant. Oh, that's a pretty good answer, but it's Thank not quite you. right. <laughs> what a zombie ant is is an ant whose body has been taken over by fungus. <gasps> and the brain is still perfectly good. So can you imagine having your brain, but your body won't do what you want? So the fungus might say, turn right when you want to turn left, right? So the body's taken over and the ant marches along till it finds a stalk of grass, a nice tall one, and it climbs up the stalk of grass and then it holds on to a leaf on the grass with its, with its pincers really, really hard and then a mushroom sprouts out of its head and oh. that mushroom spreads the spores of the fungus to other ants. It's wow. kind of amazing. Horrifying and amazing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still digesting these whales. Uh, yeah. <laughs> do, do, do we know why they're. Is there an evolutionary <laughs> reason why? Do you know the book is f- so full of stuff that we don't know the answers to? Yeah, right. And that's one of the things I love about it. We don't know that. And, you know, if, if the kids ask their parents, the best answer is we don't know yet. Why don't you go and find mm. out when you grow up? Be a biologist and figure this out. What about bats? Oh, there's some amazing bats in in the book. There's um, I um, there's a bat called the Yoda bat. Did you read about that? You no. can find it here in Australia. It's a bat with a really weird looking face, like Yoda off the 
the you know the movie and um it's found in the rainforests of australia it's a really gentle little bat but it's got sulfurous yellow dots all over its body and kind of crinkled luminescent green bits and brown so when it it's sitting kind of with its wings around it, it looks just like a, a a leaf that's got some terrible disease, you know. Um, but it's 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 a wonderful thing, and I've seen them in Eastern Australia and New Guinea. Mm, They're be- great bats because you're a mammalogist. That's, that's right. Uh, and is there? I mean, why why choose mammals? Like of of all the, uh, the your entrees into all of your interests. Well, that's a great question because birds are what a lot of people go for, right? They're right there and you can observe them. They're diurnal, so you can go out during the day. But I really love the mammals because um, they're marsupials in Australia, a lot of them, which are kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. And uh, they've got a great fossil record, whereas birds, they don't have teeth, so they don't fossilise so well. Yeah. So you can figure out with the mammals where they came from and what the ancient communities were like and that sort of stuff, as well as go out at night and have fun looking for them. You know? Yeah. This and there's mysteries, like why do kangaroos hop? I mean, don't you want to know? I mean, yes. You know, do we not know yet? <laughs> we do. That, that was the oh. one thing I managed to get on top of. Oh, yeah, that's of yeah. course. Yeah, that's yeah. right. <laughs> but no, they, they, they hop because it's just the most efficient way of moving at medium speeds when you've got to go a really long way. And in Australia, you know, it's a long way between the waterhole and the grass, you know. Yeah. So, so you also, in addition to all of your scientific qualifications, you also have a BA in English literature. How important was that just to inform your writing or your uh, appreciation of storytelling and therefore science communication? Well, look, it was kind of accidental, but it was hugely influential. I had a couple of wonderful teachers at university, including Laurie Clancy. People may know him. He was a great, great lecturer. Um, loved loved his pubs too, which was good when you're a student. Uh, um, but uh, yeah, just I, I I couldn't believe I was being paid for four years to read Shakespeare and you know the ancient Greek tragedies and that sort of stuff. The only, at the end of that though, the problem arose that I was you know had to go out and be a teacher, and I think I went to somewhere in Footscray, like year nines, you know. Is my training, and I realised I didn't have the guts to be a teacher. That was way, way above anything I could do, you know. Yeah, wow. And um, so I went and trained in geology. Are there some kind of like these little flannery files in the book where you sometimes include your personal experiences meeting animal, whether it's a chameleon or whatever it might be? For someone who spent their life studying animals and interacting with them, has there ever been a moment or an animal that's left you more in awe than any others or an interaction that you kind of sits with you the most? Oh, look, all the time. Because if you take the time, you can communicate with animals, you know. And if I can just say, last week I was on the Great Barrier Reef with a group of people who wanted to learn about climate change and climate change impacts. And it gets pretty despairing when you're going through the details of what, you know, what we've seen and what might happen. And I just took a few minutes out from this group to just have a walk and I remember I just stopped beside a tree and there was a little bird there a little turn that was making this funny noise like eek, eek. so I just sat, sat down next to it and just went, eek, and it went eek, eek, eek. And we did about five calls and then this bird just produced this little fish at the end of its beak and sort of tried oh, to give it to me like no yeah and I just thought nature knows the answer nature nurtures you if you you know who so are it was you, just Snow Walker? <laughs> it was kind of weird. I didn't, it was accidental. I didn't know what the bird was going to do. That just made my but... heart feel very warm. That's so, yeah. that's such a lovely. That's such a lovely little um, vision as well. I mean, you were just speaking about the fact that you kind of it can be quite despairing talking about climate change. This is such a positive 
this is almost like a a way of making people celebrate in, at the same time as I don't know, like maybe like an antidote to despairing all mm. the time. Is that what yeah. you kind of hope to do with a, with a book like this? Is is make people kind of love nature? Yeah, look, yeah. I just, I just, I wrote it because it was the book I wanted to have when I was a kid. You know, full of interesting facts, yeah. and a bit of in-depth stuff, and the, those files that you mentioned, I think they're important because it shows that you can actually go out and do it. So these are personal accounts of things, you know. Yeah. So it says, yeah, you can go out and have a look at that. And I just think to inspire kids with a, a love of nature and an awe of nature, and with a questioning sort of attitude to it all is great, you know, so that's what I want It's to very colourful. Have you fact-checked the artwork? Um, <laughs> that's a great question. Um, well, yeah, well, broadly I don't speaking. Know. There's a chameleon <laughs> with crystals and little... Yeah, yeah. I see a pole there. It's sort of like, it's, the, the illustrations are sort of like um, they're the hook, you know. They, it's another way of telling the story, isn't it? Mm. You know, yeah. With a cartoon or, you know, that sort of thing. I think you write in such uh, an infectious way that I don't think it's fair to call this a, just a children's book. I think adults, like, we're all very excited flipping through the pages yeah. of this book as well. Tell me, is there an animal that um, you haven't clocked eyes on that you'd love to? Oh, yeah, there is. It's the mole rat, the naked mole rat, oh. which has made it into the book, but I've never seen it, you know. These things, are they're, they're the ugliest looking mammals in the world. They look like a sort of a peeled sausage, a pink peeled sausage with these four teeth sticking out the front, you know. And um, they're, they're amazing because they live like for 30 years and for a little animal that long, mm. that's, a, you know, only about well, as long as long my as finger, yeah. that's like a, a really long life. And they have this weird thing where there's one queen mole rat and she controls the whole colony with her poo. Can oh, you believe that? Gosh. So all the other mole rats eat her poo and they never get sexually mature. They stay as these little tiny helpers and they help bring up her young and look after her young. Oh, what a um, life. But, yeah, Jeez. I know. But, but if, if they stop eating the poo, they mature. It's ah. kind of amazing. So if anything happens to her, one of them goes off. But the other weird thing about the mole rat, it's the only animal we know about, only mammal we know about that never gets cancer. And have a guess what? Nobody knows why. Oh. So there's some smart kid out there who might read that and said, well, let's find out. Because you're inspired by um, museum directors or museum assistants, weren't you? That's right. Well, I came to the museum here in Melbourne when I was about eight years old in my shorts and uh, walked through the door and I had a fossil that I needed identifying and this man in a white lab coat came down, took me past an Egyptian mummy and up into the collection, you know, identified my fossil, but saw I was interested and said... Would you like to hold the only dinosaur fossil ever found in Victoria? So he opened the drawer, took this thing out and put it in my hand. And it was like this moment, you know, when you never forget. I still remember seeing it there in my hand. And um, I never found out that guy, whether he could have been the janitor at the museum. I don't know, I don't know whether he was the curator or not. Never found out who he was, but it's kind of like, he changed my life. It didn't, it didn't even exist. No, no, no. Uh, and just while we have you, is there, is there anything that you're working on moving forward? Uh, you know, you, you're such a prominent voice in environmentalism. Is there, is there anything that demands your attention in terms of activism or awareness? Yeah, look, I'm, I'm watching um, – well, I, I participate participate in the school marches. I'm watching Extinction Rebellion very closely because I think they're a very interesting interesting group. Uh, you know, in Britain with Extinction Rebellion, the police are on their side because they understand that these people are trying to protect everybody's children into mm. the future. Here we've got a more antagonistic approach. I'm just hopeful they can work through that and 
you know, uh, carry the message mm-hmm. you know, in a peaceful way. Um, I'm also working on, on seaweed because I think we've just gone past the point now where we can imagine by cutting emissions we'll solve the problem. We need to draw some of the CO2 out of the air and seaweed's a great way of doing that. So I've established a new foundation to look into that and see what we can do and learn. Um, and apart from that, um, no, I'm busy <laughs> up to Christmas. I think you've done apart from that. Uh, <laughs> Explore Your World, Weird, Wild, Amazing, with illustrations by Sam Caldwell is out now via Heidi Grant. Tim Flannery, thank you so much for speaking with us. It's been a great pleasure. Thank you. Melbourne's own Triple R. You've been listening to a podcast of the best bits of the Breakfasters, which is the Monday to Friday breakfast show broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia. Feel free to get in touch with Breakfasters via Facebook, Twitter, Instagram or via the Triple R website.